Tonight, as we uh, take some time to pray for missions, we're going to spend a few weeks praying for local ministries and some local uh, missions. So tonight, I wanted to take some time for us to pray together for Outreach Community Center there in Winchester. You guys largely probably know a lot of details. Every year in, at the beginning of school, we support their back-to-school drive. But uh, they are a faith-based ministry. That the, This is their vision or their mission. Outreach Community Center is an immediate need ministry serving the community. Throughout the year, events are held to provide to those in our community and surrounding areas with items uh, to their needs. A few of the areas that they do is back to school. They do Christmas. And here what was that other thing that they did. Schools, food, and clothing. And I, this morning as I've been reading through Proverbs, I think it was this morning, I read the verse that said, those who are kind to the poor lend to the Lord. And I, I, this ministry is that kind of a ministry. They had been going on mission trips around the world, but they said, hey, there are needs in Scott County, and so we want to be a part of meeting those needs. You may know the name of who runs it. I don't know who runs it. I don't know any of those details. But they said, hey, we go on mission trips other places. Let's make sure that we're meeting the needs of people in our community. And so our church partners with that, but tonight I want to take some time to say, hey, this is a ministry that's specifically lending to the Lord. Um, Proverbs says that that is what that kind of a ministry does. And so the Lord returns um, for that. And so I think it's a good thing for us to be supporting them. We can pray for them wisdom. We can ask the Lord to provide because they, just like everybody else, have needs for their facility and power and supplies when they do their Christmas gift drive, when they do um, food, and when they do school supplies. But specifically, we want, uh, and I believe that they want for people to hear and experience the love of God through their ministry. And so let's pray that, 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 that's what, that the Lord would just multiply that impact from their ministry. Let's pray for them together tonight. God, we thank you for the couple and all of the volunteers and all of the churches and people that come together to do ministry through the Outreach Community Center. Your word says that those who give to the poor, who are kind to the poor, lend to the Lord. And so that means that what they are doing is something that's not just meeting a few physical needs at Christmas time, not just meeting a few needs during the school year, but they are year-round doing a ministry before you. We pray your blessing on them. We pray that they would have wisdom to meet the right needs at the right time. Lord, we pray that you would provide all of their needs uh, as their ministry has been growing in recent years. But we pray specifically that all of the, the people, the moms and dads who line up to, to get Christmas gifts, that every family that needs to get food, all of the students who get school supplies, Lord, we pray that they would hear and experience the love of God expressed in Christ Jesus through what they do. We pray all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and turn with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4. Suffering has never been far from Peter's mind as he writes to the believers there in Turkey. And tonight, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 6. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. So he's just spent this entire chapter in chapter 3 talking about suffering, and he kind of wraps several threads together here in these verses. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Therefore, since Christ suffered in His body... Arm yourselves also with this same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin, 
As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will, give, they will have to give an account to Him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the Gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. Let's pray. God, we pray as we open Your Word that You would give us ears to hear what You have to say. Obviously, suffering is so important to You that You prepare us in advance for suffering. And so we pray that You would give us the mind of Christ about it. In Jesus' name, Amen. This, this uh, first, or I'm sorry, First Peter chapter 4, the, the very first line there, Therefore, since Christ suffered in His body, arm yourselves with the same attitude. It reminds me of Philippians where it's a lot more familiar. Philippians chapter 2 that says, have this same attitude in yourselves that was in Christ Jesus. That's In that context, it's specifically saying like being humble and serving one another and being humble and considering each other's interest over each other. But here in 1 Peter, he says, arm yourselves with the same attitude that Jesus had about his suffering because he suffered in his body. He is, uh, Peter is specifically calling us in suffering to have the mind of Christ about our suffering. This is... He'll touch on suffering a little bit, but this is kind of where he wraps all of the threads of suffering together here in 1 Peter. And so tonight I want to show you these, these three things that what it has, means to have the mind of Christ about suffering. He, where he says, have this, arm yourselves with this same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. The first way that we have the mind of Christ is we like live according to God's will. But look at verse 2. So he's, he says, as a result... Arming themselves with the attitude of Christ. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. The, the troubling thing is at the end of verse 1, where he says, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. And we, and you go, we go, what, what do you mean, Peter? Like, what do you mean? Having, have the mind of Christ about our suffering. Arm ourselves with the same attitude. How does suffering cause to be done with sin. And what he says there in verse 2, I think, answers that question. Where he says that you're no longer living according to your, your earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Peter is saying that our suffering, specifically he's speaking of in, to them and saying you're going to be slandered, you're going to be persecuted, you're, going to, you're already losing things, you're already uh, being suffering, uh, for the cause of Christ. And he says, but it is that kind of suffering that causes us to direct our eyes upward. He says, be, be, uh, as a result, but uh, they're no longer living the rest of their lives for earthly evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. He says that it is when we, when we suffer that our eyes are directed up. Suffering is ultimately, we've seen this before in First Peter, ultimately suffering is a vertical issue. If you're like me, you, you kind of know that. Like suffering causes us to say, God, what are you doing in the middle of this? We don't just, uh, just kind of, let, let me figure out how to navigate through this. But we say, 
when we suffer, we say, God, why? We, we begin to, to say, God, what are you doing in the middle of this? And Peter is saying that it is that in our suffering, that, that our, we, we're called to arm ourselves with the attitude of Christ, have the mind of Christ about our suffering by directing our eyes and say, God, you are up to something. What are you doing? And so he is, he's calling the believers in advance to say, it's coming. Be prepared in advance. And, and I, I, I think underneath that is this belief, God, you are up to something. You're not surprised by this. This is why you've given us your word in advance. That This is not something that you're far away from, that you hate us for, but God, help us see what you are up to and direct our eyes upward. Believing that you're not far away from us. You're not over there deciding to punish us, but that you love us dearly. And so it is this call for you and I to, to in suffering, having the mind of Christ and say, God is up to something in the middle this. God, please reveal yourself to us in this. I am not going to live just for my own self, living my own way, driven by my own desires. God, I want to know what you are doing in the middle of this. It reminds me of uh, Jesus praying in the garden where he's sweating sweat drops of blood, whereas his disciples have abandoned him and he says, but not what I will, but what you will. He's saying, arm ourselves with the attitude of Christ about our suffering. And in the garden in Gethsemane, Jesus knew what was coming, felt the weight of it, felt the pain of it, felt the grief from it, and said, not what I will, but what you will. Jesus knew that it was a vertical issue when he was suffering. And so Peter, so often the Bible calls us living in light of the gospel, living in light of the cross, in the power of the gospel, what God is doing. But here he's saying, how he's, it's a call to us to follow Jesus' example and arm ourselves with that same attitude. It's the, the, we're called to consider ourselves in Christ and say, God, I'm in, in my suffering, I want to pray like Jesus in the garden where I'm welcome to sweat teardrops of blood. I'm willing, I'm, I'm welcome to say, God, let this cup pass from me. But like Christ, I want to say, God, I trust you, not my, I, my will, but what your will be done. Because we can so easily be driven by our flesh, be so driven with our own, I have to fix this, I have to, I have to control this, I have to do something. Peter says, it is this call to have the mind of Christ in suffering and direct our eyes upward. The second way we arm ourselves with the attitude of Christ from this passage is we recognize the time that we live in. Look at verses three to five. Look at verses three to five. He says, for you have spent enough time in the past. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Peter is saying, it, like, the time is past. Our marisals with the attitude of Christ means that we look at the future and say, you know what? It, it, time is past for me to do the stuff that I want. We, if, you, if you're like me, we read this and we go, wow, that's a kind of a messed up church. They got, a, they got some stories there. Like, there's a, there's a list here. 
Those are, some of those are not words that we use for each other or for ourselves, but some of them do, are true or more true of us. But I, I think that the emphasis is not so much on did you do this sin in the list or this sin in the list. He's saying that all who are driven by their passions, whether it is like wild living, like debauchery, drunkenness, and orgies, or somebody that's driven by their lust, the lust of their flesh, and detestable idolatry. We see other scriptures that say greed itself is idolatry. These are things that have been true of the church. And Peter says, that time is done, guys. It's time for us to move on from that. We know that the world around us thinks that it's normal and wants us to accept it and to live in that same way. But he says that having the mind of Christ means we say that time is done. I think one of the things that we do with this in this passage is we should begin to pray, God, may there be people in our church. May some of the people that we reach have stories like this. Peter is saying as a result, they don't, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. One of the things that's on my prayer list is that the Lord would send people who are, for whatever reason, already discipled and ready to serve in our church. But that the majority of the people that we reach not be people that have everything together, but they come in saying, and they're saying, you know what? I have lived in debauchery and drunkenness and lust. I have caroused and done all sorts of things, but that time is done. I want to follow Jesus. I think one of the prayers that we need to have as a church and one of the expectations that we need to have as a church is that we are praying for and reaching people that are saying the time is past for me to live that way. I have spent enough of my life in that. It's easy the last 30 years in the church, most churches uh, have seen most of their growth just come from Christians moving from one church to another. A lot of, uh, if, you, if you look at statistics and you look at what, what's happened in churches over the last 30 years, the, the, and I'm not running down churches. I, I'm saying, like, let's weep and pray that there would be people come in with stories. But it, it's easier to try and convince somebody who is already a Christian to move from one church to another than it is to see somebody come from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And I, just, I read this and I say, God, do this again. So that we can encourage each other. The time has passed for what you used to live in. But God has made you new. And God is doing something new. And so the the main point here is for all of us to see ourselves as the sinners whose time is passed. But I think one of the prayers that we need to pray is, God, do verse 3 again. Do verse 3. And so that when we look at our, our neighbors, when we look at Manchester, we know where the drugs are being done and sold. We know those things. We know the homes that the kids come staggering out of the house around town and we go, I don't know what just happened, but it looks like a mess. We know that stuff. And so instead of shaking our finger, wagging our finger at people, shaking our head and saying, oh, can you believe it? Like, I think the prayer of Manchester Baptist Church should be, God, let us reach and love and save the lost who live here so that we can say, yes, your house used to be filled with carousing, but now... It is light in the Lord. So, But this passage calls to all of us, not to just look at other people, but to look at ourselves and say, the time for that is done. The time for me to be driven by my flesh is done. And sometimes God, has used our, God uses our suffering to help us see that.
God has used suffering in my own life to expose anger that's been in my life for 38 years that I just like lived with and what was normal. I thought that was the way the world worked. And God has used at times suffering to expose it and set me free. God has, God has used at times suffering to point out idols that are in my life. And maybe you can point out some of the same ways that God has used suffering to say, you know what, the time is done for you to live that way, to love those things and to walk in those ways. At the end of, uh, I said, yeah, it was pretty much the end of seminary. We, uh, we'd been in there for several years, and I was the guy that I used to laugh at because I had, went to seminary with three kids and a full-time job and was just hanging on for dear life. And so the, the guys who are 24 and unmarried, and like it's, it's a little easier when you're 24 and unmarried and don't have a full-time job and you go into school full-time. Well, so we'd been in there for three years, and we found out that I could take a two-class like sequence, get two classes out of the way by taking, it's, it, it was two classes and a mission trip kind of combined. And Emma was like, and that means you can graduate next semester. You're taking it. We'll do whatever it takes because that means we're, we're going to be done faster. And so I was like, okay, this is going to be great. And so I, I took, it was two classes and we went to Indonesia and the professors were training pastors there and we were learning about doing missions and then partnering with a local missionary on a remote island. And uh, it was kind of fun because I may have told you this island that we did the, the final week at, they had killed Christians 10 years before. And so this was like a, there, was, there were fun stories and it was kind of wild and there was a time where we had no translator and so we were like on our own. And in some ways it was fun. I lived out of a backpack because we checked no baggage in, in the air, uh, on the airplanes and there was, there was a part of me that was like, this is what I dreamed about, you know, when I was 23 or 24 live out of a backpack for two weeks, travel with missionaries and help them do missions. But the thing I realized is I was like, I'm not 24 and unmarried. Like I'm 34 and I've got four kids at home and a wife at home. This is not as fun as it would have been before. You know, when I was single and free and everything was great, this would be an ideal trip. But I just, I was there and I was like, the time for that's past. I'm married and I like to be married. I've got kids and I like to have kids. Like, you know, I, I don't wish to have what I like used to think was so cool because the time for that is gone. So I, I took the class and it ended up being a blessing. But one of the big lessons was I'm not that guy that I used to be. The time for that way of living is past. This is my life now. Let me live this life in this way. And I was thinking of that story today because that's what Peter is saying is that the time for how we used to live is gone. And sometimes it takes suffering for us to, to recognize that. But, the, the, but, but God is calling all of us to just give up on that old way of living and to say, God has called me to a new way in the middle. I'm going to recognize the time. I'm going to recognize that the old way of living is gone. I'm going to recognize that the world around me is going to be judged. But I'm going to follow Jesus even in the middle of this suffering. Because in suffering, we can be tempted to turn our hearts back and go, well, let me just live the way that everybody else lived. But God is calling us to say that time is gone. Judgment will come on them, and we're going to leave that behind. The third way this passage calls us to arm ourselves with the attitude of Christ is it says, he's telling us, expect life after death. 
How do we arm ourselves with the attitude of Christ? We expect life after death. Look at verse 6. For, for this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. This is another one of those puzzling sentences that Peter has used. He said, wait, for this reason, like the, the gospel has been preached to the... Like what, what is he talking about? He is saying that, though, that those who are in Christ have heard the gospel and their flesh died with Jesus, but now their life has been raised in Christ so that they are living according to the Spirit. And so he says, and so they are living according to God in regard to the Spirit. He, he's not saying God has gone and preached to people that are dead and giving them a second chance. He's saying that those who are in Christ died with Christ in the flesh, and now according to the Spirit, they lived for God. And he is saying that that there is this expectation, my real physical death has already been taken care of in Christ. My life is now going to be found in Christ in the future. And so he is saying we should expect our lives to be bound up with Jesus, expecting life after death. This is ultimately, he's telling us to have the attitude of Christ. This is the attitude that Christ had from the cross when he looked at the the when he looked at the criminal next to him and said, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus knew there was life that was coming after death. He told his disciples to go ahead of him. He knew that his resurrection was going to happen. He knew that, he was, that his death, his physical death, was not the end, and he was looking forward. And so Peter is here in the gospel saying, you've already died with Christ, and you should be looking forward to, to life after death as the perspective that carries you through suffering. One of the things that's true of my generation uh, is that we can just so easily separate ourselves from death. We can so easily just ignore that. It seems like we've lived through the last couple of years and there's just been death all around in our town, in our community, in our church, but in our country. There's been death all over, and so nobody's really been able to ignore it. But we so my generation so easily just stops thinking about it and then stops thinking about heaven too. And Peter's like, don't give up thinking about heaven. Don't, don't, don't put your heart anywhere except in heaven. Expect life after death and expect that heaven is where your real home is because that's going to be the thing that carries you through suffering. Just thinking, that, uh, thinking positive thoughts, ignoring the reality of death, trying to value anything else is not going to carry you through suffering the same way that Jesus' perspective on his own death. Today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus knew that his death was not the end for him. And so, he, so Jesus, or Peter is calling us, God through Peter is calling us to say, no matter what I go through, it is not the end. The best is yet to come. Let me set my heart on that. Maybe it's a, a generational thing. Maybe as we get older, we just, uh, believers, set their hearts more. But uh, older believers are better at expecting and longing for the kingdom to come. Uh, better at expecting and saying, you know what? I've had everything there is here, and I look forward to seeing Jesus. And I think that's the attitude that Peter is calling us to have, to arm ourselves with the attitude that will carry us through suffering. To not just say, oh, it doesn't matter, it's not painful, 
Oh, it's not that big of a deal. Oh, someday feelings will get better. The thing that's going to carry us through suffering is the attitude that Christ had that, that there is going to be more and better life on the other side. Is it hard now? Yes. Peter is not expecting us to just ignore it and act like it's no big deal. He's not, expect, he's not saying, just ignore it. It's no big deal. It doesn't hurt so bad. No, the suffering is real. And he says, but set your hearts on the fact that you will live with Christ. Set your heart on the fact that one day he will wipe away every tear from your eyes. Set your heart on the day, what is it Isaiah said, that one day that even the shadow of death will be wiped away. Because that's going to be the thing that carries you through cancer, through loss, through tragedy, through unexpected tragedy, through hearts that carry heavy things and have carried heavy secrets for so long. Peter says, set your heart in that place where Christ set his heart. That there is joy that's coming, that there is a resurrection on the other side, and I am going ahead of you to prepare a place for you. I go and prepare a place for you so that you can come and be with me where, that you may be where I am. That is going to be the thing that carries us through suffering. And so Peter has been using chat, you know, verse after verse, paragraph after paragraph here in the letter so far, saying suffering is coming. And he says, arm yourselves with the attitude of Christ in light of the gospel, fixing your eyes on him. So some of us here today, this is really fresh, whether it's something from this week, something from this year, it could be something from three years ago, whatever. Some of us are carrying those things us are going to be carrying those things in the future. And in each of these ways, he says, he is calling us to recognize the time for living for ourselves is gone and fix our hearts and our minds on Jesus. Because that is going to be the thing that carries us through this together. So then our ministry to each other becomes the same thing. Sitting with each other in suffering, crying with each other in suffering, but also using chances to remind each other that there is a day that is coming that is so far better. There is a day that is coming. I, I return to this often. When every tear will be wiped away, when all things will be made new, and that will be the thing that carries us through. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We would not choose suffering as the way. We would not choose suffering as the theme of this letter. But you know the lives that we lead and you have given us your word to prepare us in advance. I pray that we would be a church that has the mind of Christ in our suffering. In Jesus' name, amen.